broadcasting live from Poncharmiga. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. And bringing it all the way back to whenever we did the first season of The Bad Batch. Today we're talking about season two of Star Wars The Bad Batch in preparation for season three, which is coming out very soon. I'm very excited about season three. Season two, as much as I like season one, is such good Star Wars television. I'm really excited to talk about it with you. But we do have some stuff to get through in the news first, including a Paramount Panic! (laughs) Paramount Panic. I mean, let's just keep it rolling, I suppose, because Paramount is going to lay off over eight hundred employees about three percent of their total workforce that is just horrific numbers this is happening more and more lately that entertainment companies are realizing that the streaming bubble is unsustainable and that the way that they engage with the consumer marketplace is not healthy and instead of actually changing their business practices the solution is to lay off employees in mass paramount this isn't the first layoff we've talked about of theirs on this show it's still really disheartening and shocking and i mean all the studios are running into these problems and it's almost like the industry needs to reevaluate what they're doing and the actions that they're taking. Yeah, I think I think so as well. I know that there was like record viewership on Paramount Plus for the Super Bowl this last mm-hmm. weekend and this is just like right on the heels of that kind of milestone that they've hit. So it's, you know, every every other week I feel like we have some kind of panic or nuisance of some kind and you know, it's always either crackdowns on the streaming services that are just getting more and more locked up with new roadblocks for sharing and actually accessing the media and mm-hmm. layoffs. So we're we are in the trenches right now. Hopefully we won't have another one for some time, but I doubt that will be the case but in some other interest more interesting news here we have finally casting for the new fantastic four that is actually going to be in the mcu uh pedro pascal vanessa kirby joseph quinn and eben moss backrack this is uh interesting i suppose i guess this is more interesting than anything i've cared about that has been announced in the mcu in quite some time You know I retain affinity for the Fantastic Four, and I have been for a long time interested in the prospect of seeing the Fantastic Four brought properly to the screen. I have an affinity for the old Fantastic Four movies from the early 2000s. I don't think those are particularly good, although the casting for them was perfect. I mean, I I literally don't think you could get better casting, except for maybe they could have found somebody better for Sue Storm than Jessica Alba, Mm. somebody who could act, perhaps. But... (laughs) Overall, I mean, I think Ewan Grufford, Chris Evans, and I mean, Michael Chiklis is Ben Grimm. He was born to be the thing, which I don't know. Seamus, what do you what do you make of this casting overall? Well, I have like my my only awareness of the Fantastic Four really is seeing the Silver Surfer trailer about a hundred thousand times for some reason when it was coming out. Good and trailer. the um the fan four stick latest reboot of the franchise that really was maybe one of the worst movies I've 
I've ever seen in a theater. Um, <laughs> so I I don't know what to make of this. I know didn't you have Pedro Pascal in a different role in in your mind if they were to ever tap him for a Fantastic Four role? Years ago, before you and I started this podcast, I was adamant that Pedro Pascal would be a great Victor Von Doom. Th- yes, this is before yes. Mandalorian. This is before Last of Us. Like that was just from Game of Thrones. I was like, I think he could do a really interesting take on that character that would be different from the comics but still true to his like essence i don't see him as reed richards he's charming and smarmy but i don't think he's the right fit yeah i am uh i'm unsure as well i guess i should say and the other guy the uh the stranger things guy i don't know i don't know i guess i if anything this might be something to drag me back in to to a little more on the marvel side of things it it looks interesting it seems like it's going to be more based on the 60s era version of these characters is from what the announcement poster looked like so that's you know I, I like that idea Seamus what has been my pitch for the Fantastic Four in the MCU literally forever is it exactly this it has been do we have a TikTok up about it well part of it I have always held that you do a 60s or 70s set young Fantastic Four movie then you bring you age them up and bring them into the mainline mcu as older actors i mean do you think that is maybe the route they're I, trying to go here with this no, one i, I don't. mean it I seems everyone's a, they're kind of in their own age here it really heavily seems to be implied that this is set in the mid 60s you have the thing reading a life magazine from that era with lbj on the cover you have a picture of ben Grimm hanging in the background where he seems to be wearing an apology era astronaut suit i think probably what's going to happen is at the end of this movie they're going to or at the end of a movie or a stupid tv show or something they're going to go into the negative zone and pop out next to dr strange or whatever yeah something like that i you know how over marvel i am but i am excited about the idea of maybe this being a little bit more separated out because i do think that if there's anything that could maybe get me like an inkling excited about a marvel property it is the fantastic Four. I really do enjoy them. They're Marvel's first family. I don't love this casting overall, as I alluded <laughs> yeah, to David yeah. Pascal. I think Joseph Quinn, despite the fact that they cast him definitely for the wrong reasons, they cast him when he was really hot off the four seasons of Stranger Things, and he was like a really popular character a year ago. Yeah, I I was wondering about the, the timing of it all myself. So clearly, that's like stunt casting, I think, but at the same time, I think he's a good fit for the role, and I would rather, uh, no offense, to him i'm sure he's a nice guy and he was good in stranger things i'd rather see him cut up in the marvel machine than a, a better actor an actor <laughs> like a Terran <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a zach efron or something yes I, uh, I i could agree with that which it brings me to vanessa kirby and I, I love Vanessa Kirby. I don't think she's right for Sue Storm. I don't, like, she, I don't, I just don't see the vision. But I think she's a good enough actor that is so good at changing the way she presents herself. Even looking at the way she presents herself in something like The Crown, Mission Impossible, and of course your favorite movie, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, of course. Three very different performances, I think. And I, I believe that she can take on new personalities 
and I'm not super thrilled to see her stuck in the Marvel machine, but I'm interested to see what she does with the character. Well, my mind has been going to, I know with the expulsion of our current or the past Kang here, and I know the relation to Reed Richards is a little more important, I would say, I guess. Maybe they're trying to also use this kind of casting to move into a recast position for what Kang and his variants might become in, in the future. They also just might not address that, but they might not adapt that part of the character. Oh yeah, I guess right? I guess that's possible, yeah. Like, I know they've made, like, cute little references to it in Loki and stuff, but I feel like they could just, like, the MCU's happy to ignore tons of stuff. Yeah, that, that they've proven that, yes. Which is, I don't even necessarily, like, that's part of adapting something. I don't hold that against, I hold lots of things against the MCU. I don't hold that particularly. I also think that Eben Moss Backrack is perfect casting for the thing. Good for him. He's great. Love him on Andor. Love him on the what I've seen of the bear, you know. Yeah, that's I, I've been hearing a lot about, you know, him on the bear as of this casting announcement, and I I really I guess I should really watch the bear. I've been told that by a million people. I mean you're gonna be like, they're eating at the Chicago place for a lot of that. <laughs> show probably i i know that's the like two episodes i've seen have mostly had that experience sure, I enjoy sure. it. it's a good show but i yeah i tentatively am interested in this excited it would be a strong word certainly you and i've already mm. discussed this a little bit but it'll be interesting to see how this will be fulfilled yeah i uh if anything this is just a maybe a little reminder for us to watch those old fantastic fours that i have not seen yet because i I think that would just probably be a lot of fun instead of putting all the weight on this new one. I think my ultimate button on it is I'm really excited to revisit the old ones and have an excuse mm. to do them for the show. And I really wish that this announcement had happened five years ago. Still <laughs> yeah, had a scrap yeah. Of caring left. Oh well, they'll keep trying. They'll keep doing big stuff like this. They'll, you know. But man, yeah. if this isn't gonna do it for you, I don't know what will. Exactly. I mean, maybe the trailer will come out and it'll look amazing, and I'll be fully back on the Marvel train. Choo choo. Maybe her. Herbie will really bring you back, but we'll we'll come Ooh. back to Herbie in our reference this week. But in our last bit of news here, Microsoft has come out and announced that there is some truth to the rumors that Xbox exclusive games will be expanding to other platforms but they are not the ones that you actually want to play like indiana jones and starfield yeah yeah they've been really in the in the cycle lately of like there's a huge announcement coming up or really and i mean this is you know kind of a bigger step for this big of a studio but i was really hoping it was indiana jones starfield whatever who needs it but indiana jones that was like ah that was a gut punch to hear today a gut like a pile of leather jackets getting hit with the baseball bat. Exactly. Oh, God, exactly. Truly the hardest-hitting sound I've ever heard, maybe. And... I mean, I don't know. I I would be open to buying some of these, but it's the stuff like Indiana Jones and Starfield, the console sellers that I'm interested in having on the console I already own. Yeah, they they made a very specific point. Phil Spencer, I believe, is the head of Xbox, said that we sh- like people shouldn't expect that since there's a couple titles that we will be getting. You know, the dam will not break, and we will not get like every Xbox game ever. And I feel like that is really tempering a lot of Halo expectations because I don't I don't think, you know, if this is their big announcement and they're not willing to, you know, put more of a staple and, and really stand by that to expand to other platforms, I don't think we're really going to get much of anything. I also think about how, you know, now seven, eight years later, you can get Uncharted 4 on PC, but you can't get the first three Uncharted games. 
games, or you could get Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man on PC, but you can't get the new Spider-Man 2 on PC. So it kind of inverting that to Xbox, I feel like this might be a trickle system where once sales slow on older games, then they can pump them over to PlayStation and get that, that mm-hmm. influx of cash. Well, when we finally get some actual official announcements on titles instead of just rumors that are that are going around, maybe I'll feel a little more into the idea of sharing that cross-platform compatibility. I know they specifically said that there is a focus on community-oriented games, so I assume some cross-platform multiplayer is where they're really focusing a lot of their attention, because they know that they can still bolster their own player base if they if they open up that cross-platform channel. Well, we keep covering this as long as they're making announcements, and I'm not necessarily excited, but I'm interested to see where it goes. Kind of like the fantastic forecasting <laughs> It's all coming together. But why don't we go ahead and find out what you thought, and I guess what I thought too, but I already know that, (laughs) about The Bad Batch Season 2. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we are talking about the entirety of season two of Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Garrett, where do you wanna where do you wanna give me your feelings about this new season here? Where do you wanna Where do you wanna start with that? I think that The Bad Batch has become the best animated Star Wars show at showing the realities of life under fascism mm. and the rise of the Empire and the way that the Empire robs everyday people of their agency and, and the pleasure of daily life that honestly I think it's the best Star Wars thing outside of Andor to tackle those ideas and themes and show exactly how necessary the rebellion is and action against the Empire in any form is I think that season two takes character archetypes that I enjoyed in the first season but didn't still fully engage with as a like well you know this is a fun little little show it's not the part of Clone Wars I maybe would have chosen chosen to spin Mm. off but i'm enjoying it into characters that i really care about and enjoy spending time with and at the end of season three will be sad to see go yeah this is this has been an incredibly enjoyable season of television i think i can say there's a couple really fun side missions that we get to go on but then there are these dr pershing style one-off two-off little arcs of like really specific breaking away from the bad batch themselves episodes that i think are just incredible. That's the Andor drip feed that I'm feeling from some of this. That's where we see most of the best examples of that reality of fascism that you were talking about. There's one episode that I think it's almost like a fable, and we'll get into it in the spoilers, that is one of the best Star Wars things ever, period, in any medium. I love, love, love what they have done with Crosshair in this season. It is mind-blowing to me how much d bradley baker can bring that character to life and mm-hmm. i was re-watching a couple of the episodes for the show and there was a beat where crosshair gave a line read and i was like man that's really interesting because i feel like most other actors would read that line this way and then i had the thought of like well if rex said that line rex would say it this way but <laughs> he took it and was able to put his mind in the space space 
of Crosshair and read it completely differently. And it works so well, and it tells you so much more about the character, and he's good at doing that for every member of the batch, but specifically the way he has fleshed out his performance of Crosshair on top of the writing that Crosshair has gotten is immaculate. Yeah, I am so excited for season three, honestly. You know, I, I very much enjoyed season one, but I, I wasn't jumping at the season two premiere, but having gone through the season two now, I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I binged it so rapidly this week that I am just, I'm missing it already because of the direction that it's heading in. But man, is it just like mature, interesting Star Wars. And I, this is me sitting and trying to convince my other coworkers, like the animated Star Wars shows are, they're not just for kids, I swear, but this specifically, this is just like Mm -hmm. such an ultimate evolution of where these animated series have gone. Totally agree. But also funny Ben Schwartz robot get exploded. Teo. Oh, that's a spoiler, Garrett. Is it? Sorry. No, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter, Teo. Oh, I weep for Teo. I texted Teo. you. I texted you. Oh, maybe we should just get into spoilers. I feel like a lot of the praise that we can just gush over D. Bradley Baker's performances, I, I know we echoed in the Icard in that uh, first Bad Batch episode. <laughs> That was an accident. I'm sorry. Uh, but it just came out. It just <laughs> so naturally. The, sp- <laughs> the spirit of Omega <laughs> took over me. Truly, I have I've just been slowly gaining a New Zealish accent over over the course of the week. But yeah, I agree with you. Let's just go ahead and call spoilers. Everything I think important that we need to say about this season, non-spoiler wise, we've already said. Mm-hmm. Watch it. It's worth it's watching. Really if you like good. Star Wars. If you like, watch this before you watch Ahsoka. Watch this before you watch Boba Fett. You know, this is so yeah, much straight better. up. Honestly, yeah, straight up. It's one of the perfect pieces of era transition Star Wars media. And I know there's been many attempts and there's probably more of those than there are less of those at this point. But man, does it hit hard. Completely agree. But official spoiler warning for Bad Batch Season 2. R.I.P. Teo. And that one dude in the stands of the Riot Race who just gets his chest blown out by a laser blast. Goddamn. Shamus, when have we ever followed orders? Damn, dude. Yeah, that is... It's a tough one to swallow. <laughs> Good God. That is so heavy, man. I just went from Teo and the guy getting laser blasted to this. Uh, sorry. I, we could talk about Teo. No, I don't know. no. We should talk about if... real things. We really should. Because I don't know if future Shamus left the Teo spoiler in... <laughs> Oh, right, yeah. Pre-spoilers, uh, Teo, Ben Schwartz, wonderful little racing robot. The, the first time I watched this season, I was like, what are we doing with this episode, even though I liked Teo? But I think something I do like about this show is that it has the quote-unquote like filler episodes that is are so maligned by modern TV audiences for some reason. Mm. But that's where a lot of the life of the universe of the Bad Batch comes in. It's not so small feeling like something like Ahsoka, where it's just like, what even... (laughs) Wow, we're traveling to a new galaxy, but who cares? Because we're all standing in the middle of the volume doing nothing. Yeah, how crazy is it that there's more life in the Bad Batch, an entirely CG animated show, than there is in Ahsoka? That's but such a bummer. You, yeah, you're right. I think we should talk about the the, the tech dying in the room. Yeah, tech dies. Uh, 
he's dead. This is not there's unless they want to really piss everyone who actually likes the show off and pull like a an Ekar situation where he's just like he's just a lobot now. They got him and they get whatever. But I think I, I kind of think that's on the t- he dies on the place where they're making the clones. Yeah, or, yeah, like the clone stuff and everything. You know, I think and, it's on the table. And my new favorite bad guy, Doctor Hemlock, as played by Jimmy Absolute Simpson. I'm so happy to see that he found his body. Well, he he found his whatever because he finds his, his goggles. goggles. Oh, speaking as of goggles, oh my god, as that traitorous oh, Trandosian, uh, Trandosian, thank you, that punk say. ass Trandosian Sid. I can't. I mean, I can believe it. That's been like looming for the entire two seasons. That you know, if if the boys are gonna betray. Sid or bail out on Sid that they're gonna you know call in the ops or whatever but mm-hmm. damn I didn't think I don't care that Sid is sad taking the credits or whatever like screw them yeah it it's awful it's Rhea Perlman I think does a really good job like does she care about Star Wars probably not does she do a good job voicing this awful scummy transnotion <laughs> dealer yes she does yeah honest to god I mean it's a great it's a great character and it really hammers home that like hey sometimes the characters on the the Bad Batch are just like actual scumbags and they're maybe not going to be redeemed by the end and feel bad enough for the clones to not turn them in. You know, it, it feels interesting. Another element of this series that feels like it's in line with Andor. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's much more realistic about the realities of living in a galaxy that is oppressed and people are just trying to figure out their way through the universe without getting squished in any way they can i think jennifer corbett who is the the creator and showrunner of the show i it blows my mind that she has done such an amazing job of maintaining and escalating the quality of this show while working within the limitations that are normally laid over star wars animation i mean like you alluded to earlier this is the only one i think that and i think we said this even in our season one review it's the only one of the Star Wars TV shows that doesn't from the outset feel like it's made for children. Not that I don't think children can watch it, but it is dark. It's mm-hmm. no darker than the Clone Wars, but the Clone Wars hides behind Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu are going <laughs> on an adventure. Yeah, it's a little less it's a, it's a little harder to ignore I guess when like the background of things are like a, a small clone child finding out that they don't have rights in their own galaxy. It's like pretty heavy, man. I don't, I don't know what to say. There's the, the backdrop of everything the the capturing and experimentation on the clone army the the conspiracy to like pass the stormtrooper bill or whatever that's like really it, it's a lot to take in the clone conspiracy arc yes is my god incredible i mean it, i mean that is as good as a lot of the stuff on andor what is universe i think pretty widely considered to be objectively the best and most mature star mm-hmm. wars thing it blows my mind how much depth there able to find in the allegorical nature of the clones over and over and over again throughout the course of the Clone Wars and throughout the course of the Bad Batch here. The fact that we get to see Bail Organa taking really concrete steps toward helping the helpless, I think is also a really nice like touch of world building mm-hmm. that this show adds. 
but that yeah the conspiracy thriller stuff that is you know in the shadows of Coruscant is everything Attack of the Clones wants to be but doesn't quite get to as much as I love Obi-Wan playing Clue for the Jedi Council. <laughs> but I mean right down to the Coruscant club it's like it's incredible the, you know being afraid to leave the club in daylight because there's snipers coming for them and Senator Chuchi am I remembering that name right? I believe so she, yes. She, like, her, Rayo Chuchi yeah, Rayo Chuchi something like that I mean man and the follow up episode too I just I just remember being I wrote it in my notes too I, it's just so depressing knowing that no matter like this great mission they're going to like gather this like righteous evidence against this admiral who's pushing the the recruitment bill for for the new stormtrooper yep. army just knowing that it was going to pass no matter what and how sad that made me for the fun adventure they went on oh it really killed me and it made me think a lot about like that like that moment in obi-wan where there's just this clone veteran who is clearly fully abandoned by the system living in the mm-hmm. streets it, it makes stuff like that hit so much harder so much sadder and i love seeing the external we get to see palpatine play the system constantly but we're mm-hmm. up there with him usually we're we're seeing it firsthand but getting an outsider's perspective on how adeptly palpatine is able to play politics and play public opinion and throw who to this point has really been the ultimate series antagonist admiral rampart completely out the window and and banish him and prison him mid-season that Wild. the batch are actively participating in the dehumanization of clones inadvertently but still they are they are active participants in that in that system and then we get to the things with jimmy simpson's character dr hemlock where we have this shadowy more secretive season three finale antagonist plot line what do you think they're doing on that planet garrett they're doing clone research what do you, where do you think snokes you think it's the doing. snokes but they already they already kind of teased that stuff with mandalorian garbage with too Mando. didn't they yeah, so like yes where, okay, are we, where are we going? Grogu's. Whatever they're doing. They're building something. <laughs> wait, wait. Which era would make more? Yeah, I guess maybe. Yeah. Oh, wait, maybe. no. I guess they wouldn't be built because Grogu's already alive at this point. Right. It's, yeah. It's funny to think Grogu's <laughs> sitting in a hover pram somewhere during all of this. Oh, that's another note I took was Cal Kestis, Grogu, Omega, and Kanan are all just like little preteens running around at the same time at a certain That's point true. and they could all they could have all met up man god i i've always had a had a dream that we would get some kind of story of Kanan and and well i guess Caleb technically sure sure and cal training together b- before order 66 Dude. i've always thought that that would be a really cool because they should be about the same age yeah the, I, and they're like the two maybe coolest new disney era jedi that we we have in our in our arsenal here not to get too far off the bad batch kanan is maybe my favorite jedi period and honestly he's up there for me and so is cal kestis like they're both like these clean slate je- like they're not a damn skywalker or anything you know you don't have to same thing with and i don't mean to immediately steer it back to the podcast we're doing but like it's not just the clone that's with the jedi in this series it's truly the individualities of these clones coming through in ways that absolutely there's no weight it doesn't have to be a rex or a cody even though both of those characters are used really effectively 
in this season. So effectively. Like, no, I mean, the Cody stuff is oh, incredible. That, yeah, that was the well, that was the first Crosshair solo episode where it was away from yes. Omega and the rest of the boys. And that was fantastic. That was phenomenal. It's so eerie to see Cody not all up in his orange, too. It, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. And another great episode showing the daily life of not only, uh, like, an oppressive fascist system, but also colonialism and the colonization of an independent planet. And that is, like, I think one of the great... This is the great epilogue of the Clone Wars, really, is what the Bad Batch is functioning as. And taking all of the best elements of the Clone Wars, a show that is famously probably... Like, Rebels, I like better than Clone Wars. This, I like better than Clone Wars. But taking Mm. the best of Clone Wars and putting a really interesting bow on it, not, not in a way that's neat, but in a way that is asking even more questions than Clone Wars was able to i think during its seven season run well i mean again it's the perfect transitional piece of media they it is the empire attacking what was a confederacy of independent systems planet they have the droids they have this mentality of like our isolationist ways we just want some peace and it's just brutal to see the clone commandos along with what would then be the stormtrooper armies moving in after that it's it's phenomenally done and i think that brings us to the other crosshair episode the one that i think is the standout of the season mm. where the i my biggest nitpick with this is the evil general guy in this episode <laughs> looks too much like hemlock and it's, it's oh. confusing you think so? He looks more like a, a Whovillian to me. He's got the very <laughs> sharp nose. So I I was yeah. able to I was able to separate it at least. But this little excursion that Crosshair goes on, there's like f- really four characters in this episode. There's not much to it. There are multiple instances where Crosshair is forced to, despite the fact that he already is a critical thinking free-thinking clone confront how much he is a slave to the system and it 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 feels like cody's words to him at the end of the pre the previous crosshair only episode of that's what separates us from droids really echo into into this episode like this episode is a fable that cody saw coming yeah right down to just the brutality in my the twist of the knife that it's like the cargo in that second episode the outpost where you just have these beaten down forgotten about clones just holding out knowing that literally they're dying for their own inevitable obsolescence. like it's it's devastating and i mean it's satisfying maybe when crosshair finally understands what where he lies in the hierarchy of the empire and he he mm-hmm. takes out old whoville guy but man it, it it's like <laughs> was it worth it my my loss of these clones that we were just introduced to i mean it destroyed me exactly it doesn't there's no winning under the empire their retribution will still only get you thrown in prison and it won't bring the people who wrongfully died back to life mayday they do such a good job of characterizing him with such a short amount of time mm-hmm 
and showing him to be a good man and a reliable soldier while also not being just a caricature, not being a perfect martyr, and having a characterization of his own. He is not just a mouthpiece for the ideologies of the episode either. I mean, there are times when he is wrong, but that all compounds to make his death all the more devastating. So that being said, you can't even fully be satisfied when Crosshair yeah, kills exactly. the evil guy. Because then there's a million more evil guys to take his place. Man, I am so looking forward to more Dr. Hemlock. His soft voice, it's very it's sinister. I, I'm very I'm hoping that whatever is happening in the clone prison experimentation facility isn't gonna really take me out of it because there's probably a thousand ways that I can think that it, whatever's happening is stupid if they're really trying to shoehorn in connections to other short form Star Wars media but I really like him I don't I don't want them to fumble the bag right when they're gonna wrap it up real real nice I'm of two minds about it I guess I I don't care about episode 9 connections but I do also know that I had a lot less patience for the prequels and was a lot more willing to throw them out outright before all of the work that was done in Clone Wars was mm-hmm. done and that so much good came out of the prequels that I'm more willing to take them at at face value now. I still have plenty of problems with them. I think that, you know, we have discussed plenty of times on the show the problems I have with the prequels. And someday we should actually probably cover them. We'll maybe do Phantom Menace when it comes out for the oh, yeah. anniversary. But as long as Bad Batch doesn't completely devolve into fan service, or not even fan service, but like just retconny trying to fix sure, all the sure. things that went wrong with with the last Star Wars movie. If they can take an interesting character like Dr. Hemlock that I like and take all these other characters that I'm invested in and tie them in a little bit to that story, I don't think I would hate that as long as it's not undermining, like you mentioned, all of the great work that preceded it. Yeah, here's hoping that they're going to stick the landing here, a little bit more of that Andor flavor on the drama that we're getting here. I truly don't know where we're going next with all this. We kind of have a little bit of a cliff hangry ending something that i thought that they thought i was gonna think was more shocking perhaps but in a show entirely based around very genetically unique clones in a facility about experimenting on cloning i didn't really i didn't gasp at the sister reveal no i i think it's more shocking for omega than it is for us that she has had such an odd individualized reality and going from this fish tank life on Kamino to her adventures with the Batch. And that's why it's so hard when people like Echo leave her, even if he's not dying like Tech, is because she's so used to this small group that... And she also is a child. It's it's easy to forget that, I think, because Mm. she's so competent and so adult in so many ways. But having your world cracked open like that in an existence where, like, you've been constantly told that you're special, that, like, there's a reason her name is Omega, Mm -hmm. you know, that maybe... Okay, um, apparently not. And I hope they they dig into that a little bit more too because I think that that's something that Star Wars is constant flirting with and then and then retracting a deconstruction of the chosen one mentality that here that a lot of Star Wars media and this is not I'm not trying to turn this into a sequel 
<laughs> I mean, it's but it's okay if it veers in that direction. There are there have been multiple times over the course of the Star Wars saga, not just in Last Jedi, but in but Last Jedi is probably the most highbrow example of saying it's great that Luke is is Darth Vader's son or whatever, and that the Chosen One prophecy, sure. And I think even the prequels do this a little bit. But then to say, well, but they're like that's not true. That's all. It's all phony. It's all this structuring that characters in universe are doing to make sense of a scary uncaring galaxy and that all that really matters is the good inside you and the actions that you take because of it and what you do with the people you care about and for the people you care about and i think that there's been so much talked about with like you know everybody wants omega because she's so special and if season three can really expand the idea of omega reckoning with the idea that maybe she's not as special as she's always been told not that i think she acts like like oh la di da look at me i'm special that that will play a really valuable role in the larger star wars mythos because like i mean the ult like if you look at the star wars saga as a saga kind of the ultimate journey of luke is that like if you look at it like from episode one to episode six luke is looks like he's the chosen one right and he is Hmm. and he isn't and it doesn't matter who, like, parsing it, who the Chosen One is doesn't matter. Does the Chosen One prophecy even exist, or is it just another way that the Jedi alienate and doctrinate their way into problems and put too much pressure on younglings who then turn into psychopathic uh, dark Sith Lords? And I, I want I want to see Bad Batch, a show that I know is so adept at being up there with the best of Star Wars thematically and politically take on a difficult saga defining question like that. And that's another thing I maybe want a little bit more out of season three. I want maybe some Camino flashbacks. I want a whole day in the life Omega episode of what she was doing, her perspective pre season one. I'm I'm really thrilled to get to talk about season three coming up shortly and I'm very excited to see where it goes. And this conversation's only made me more excited, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Seriously. I'm going to keep up. Hopefully not forget about it again, but I don't know if I could. I'm I'm pretty locked in right here after season two. It, it's definitely a stronger season than season one. It's definitely. one of the strongest seasons of Star Wars television, period. And I hope sure. I hope Omega shoots Sid in her stupid lizard face in season three, but we'll see. We'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if we see Sid again. That's like, is that the perfect button on that character? Or uh, yeah, honestly, I thought that was a series wrap on Sid. I think so too, but I mean, I like how much time we got to spend on Ord Mantell. I love oh yeah the, the reclamation the and the expansion of Ord Mantell as an actual living place and not just like. A wretched hive of scumbility <laughs> where Han Solo ran into that bounty hunter on Ord Mantell and he changed his mind about staying with the Rebellion. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll run into it in a video game one day. It'll be fun. Oh, you mean, like, isn't that in Shadows of the Empire? Oh, is it? I haven't played Shadows of the Empire in probably 15 years. Not sure. But it's, in my brain, it seems like Shadows of the Empire has Ord Mantell in it. Or maybe just Dash Rendar talks about Ward Mantell. No, maybe. This is not the Dash Rendar <laughs> cast. Sadly, let's move on to our pop culture reference. Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about Herbie. In 1978, after the Human Torch had been individually licensed to appear in a standalone film, Stan Lee pitched the idea of a small robot companion to replace him on the Fantastic Four team. 
The humanoid experimental robot B-Type Integrated Electronics, or Herbie, was the last act of legendary comic book artist Jack Kirby for Marvel, and the character would first appear in the 1978 animated series The New Fantastic Four. One year later, in August of 1979, Herbie made the official canon transition to the Fantastic Four comic run in issue 209, with the cover image boasting his arrival to the team. Though almost exclusively associated with Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four, Herbie has expanded out into other Marvel Comics headliners over the years, including appearances with Deadpool, Spider-Man, The Avengers, and the alternate universe Marvel Zombies series. There has only been a single live-action appearance of Herbie, visible in a non-speaking cameo during a deleted scene from the 2005 Fantastic Four. But the official cast announcement for the upcoming MCU Fantastic Four prominently shows Herbie with the other members of the team. Other iterations of Herbie throughout video game and television adaptations have been voiced by both men and women, so the lack of an official casting announcement means that it is unclear which inspiration this latest version will take from. I had never really heard of Herbie until this casting announcement, but I do like the idea of just like a little robot friend who's just kind of around. The Scrappy-Doo of the Fantastic Four team is what I'm imagining. I have always had a fascination with Herbie. He is cropped up in a few Fantastic Four comics, and I think probably Spider-Man comics that I've read over the years. I find him a delightful little boy <laughs> friend. Well, not always boy. Like like you mentioned, he has appeared as masculine and feminine. Sure, sure. But I really like the idea of that character. I totally agree with you on the scrappy dooness of him. <laughs> And I am very curious to see who they get, because I think you can have a little bit more fun with a voice acting role casting decision, not only because it's such a funny character, Mm. but also I don't feel like think about Paul Bettany in the early MCU stuff. He would come in for like three hours to do Jarvis, (laughs) and I love that he was in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I... I don't know. I would like somebody just really out of left field. Uh, my nightmare is that they just they just do the claptrap thing and cast Kevin Hart is, is this little robot. Oh, and I would, uh, you could just imagine how fast my already waning support for something like this would just sap out of existence. But I have some faith that they'll have a little fun with it. Have, have some weird in-jokes about this insanely strange character that I guess has just been around forever and I've never noticed. My immediate thought was, and I think this person has somehow not been in the MCU yet, despite his prolific nature. (laughs) I mentioned Paul Bettany a minute ago, but I'm thinking of another Knight's Tale alum for this role. Alan Tudyk, I think, would be a great choice. He would have a lot of fun with it. I know he's already a Disney robot with with K2SO and Rogue One. But I'm just... You've just blown my mind that he... He's going to be, he's going to be Herbie then, right? Like that just, that is the only thing that makes sense to me. My, my joke answer is Kev Branagh doing the Poirot voice. <laughs> I'm quite possibly the greatest robot in the world. But he's too busy doing Nightmare Alley 2 <laughs> in his Poirot voice. Uh, uh, Nightmare Alley sounds like it could be a Hercule Poirot mystery, doesn't it? That's true. The, the, the murder in Nightmare Alley... Death comes to Nightmare Alley. Honestly, just make him do an American murder mystery at a carnival, and I will. I would actually unironically go see Nightmare Alley. 
Uh, well, when, that's the problem, is that uh, I'm excited to watch Nightmare Alley, but we'll never be allowed to because we've trapped ourselves in this prison. No, yeah, of... it's just, there's no, we can read the novelization of the film of Nightmare Alley, or, but we can't actually well, sit down and watch it. Gray area, if we watched the original, like, 30s Nightmare Alley, is that... Do we know too much about Nightmare Alley at that point? Interesting. Kind of the bit? I think we. I think that's fair game. If I'm being honest, I. I. Because when I think Nightmare Alley, I'm thinking Bradley Cooper. I'm not thinking of the old one. I, I can assure yeah, you that. Sure, I mean, so sure. as long as it's not that specific iteration, I feel like we're 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 in business here. Well, I, honestly, most anticipated thing about the upcoming Fantastic Four movie is definitely Herbie casting. Um, not yeah, to be confused with the love bug, of course. Lindsay uh, Lohan should be her. Wow, that's... that's the ultimate meta. I'm in. I'm actually super duper in for that, actually. But why don't we go ahead and move on and save the rec center? Let's do it. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what's on your list? Well, you've rec-centered it in the past, and I've finally reached the exact same point you did before you rec-centered it, but I have been blasting through Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and I am loving it. I think I'm far- I, I have not beat it yet, but I'm far enough into it. I'm right on the cusp of the climax where I think I have explored and experienced just enough to say that this is maybe one of the most fun modern Star Wars games that I've ever played. And it is entirely, it's like a 100% upgrade from the uh, the first Cal Kestis Jedi game. I just, I'm blown away by how mechanically it feels so smooth. And maybe, I mean, I'm getting the star treatment of not playing it on launch when it was maybe extremely clunky, but... Well, you know I famously waited until <laughs> yes, it wasn't exactly. that clunky anymore. So I don't even know a world where this game isn't, like, absolutely beautiful, functions like a dream. I found my two lightsaber stances that I'm just honing like a samurai in the desert out here. It is phenomenal, and I will probably replay it instantly as soon as I... Can you be, Can you do everything in one playthrough? I, I don't know if you can answer me that without spoiling anything, but I would love to know if I can do literally everything. It's so are you huge. Asking if, are you asking me if you can platinum everything without doing a new game like yeah is there a point of no return where they where they will give me a like a fourth wall breaking like hey this is the last mission if you want to do anything else go do that style thing i don't know oh you little bastard well i guess i'll find out soon i am just absolutely cruising i was very intimidated by the size of how big everything felt and how vast and new all the stuff was because i had i was so perfected in my fallen order gameplay but now that i'm really in it it is just unbelievable i i was always like respawn should just give me titanfall 3 already but my god they they really did us good with star wars with this one yeah that is maybe my favorite star wars game i think there's so much to love about it i cannot wait to cover it for the show i i don't even know if we can wait until an inevitable sequel spinoff or 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 follow-up to Mm. 
Survivor comes out because I want to talk about it so much. There's so <laughs> much to love in it. Um, I need to talk to you about Scuva. We have not talked about Scuva. Scuva. And I am just really impressed by taking the... You and I talked with Rocky when we had him on the show, mm-hmm. The Fallen Order, about the promise of that first game. And that survivor not only delivered on the mechanical promise but delivered i think a much more compelling interesting story it has issues which we'll get into another time but it's so exhilarating and satisfying Mm -hmm. while expanding on the things i liked about the first game and also giving me a ton of new stuff i didn't even know i wanted absolutely i cannot wait to wrap it up and really really get into the details with you but for now what do you have to save the rec center this week I went to go a couple weeks ago see a show in Milwaukee that featured a few different folk artists, and the opening act was a group that I'd never heard of, a folk duo called Golden Shoals. They are all over any any streaming platform that you can imagine, and I like folk music. I think that's something that you know about me, Seamus, and they have a really authentic sound while keeping things very modern and having an appreciation for the kind you know the types of folks that came before while experiencing new genres without betray like while not betraying that authenticity i i'm not super adept about talking about music it's something i enjoy but i don't think i understand very much but their their work really spoke to me. I thought they were incredibly charming, nice people, and I have been listening to them nonstop since I saw them a couple weeks ago. Golden Shoals. You said that they're a local group, or are they no, 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 traveling they, around. They, they travel. What? She is based in Nashville. He is based in British Columbia, but they oh, travel wow. together and Very record cool. together. Very cool. And I'm they're definitely... working on a new album right now. Well, shoot me a link to what you think is some of their best stuff, because I am definitely in for some of that. You have been, you were raving about that show the other day, so I I definitely want to see what all the fuss is about. Absolutely. I'll shoot you a link, and everybody else, look them up on wherever you get your music, because it, it is worth a listen. But that wraps us up for our show this week. If you want to reach the show on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, any way you can engage with the show. That really helps us out. If you want to reach us directly, that's an email to popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to be covering Christopher Nolan's Tenet. In honor of its 70mm IMAX re-release, we will unfortunately not be getting to see it in its full glory. I don't even think it's playing anywhere near the city of Milwaukee. Correct. I'd love to be wrong about that, but I mean, this is a movie that I have only seen once. I I don't feel like I saw it in, in the prime conditions to fully appreciate and experience it, and I'm, I'm excited to revisit it. Yeah, I'm excited to see it for the first time, so I, I know it's... I've heard very, very, very mixed things about it, so I'm, I'm going to be interested to see which side I fall on. But until then, we will see you next week. Adios, amigos.